All right, so over the past three weeks, we have been highlighting what we, ha- what we coin our, our core values of our life groups. And those four values we, we see as what we covered as gospel growth, fellowship, service, and today, mission. And as, as, as we close this out, we have to recognize and remember that these are not things that can merely be kind of preloaded into our community or kind of programmatically set forth. But these are rhythms, these are convictions, these are values that, that, that have to be cultivated, that have to be worked out. These are things that, that, that take all of us collectively working together to allow these things to be manifested throughout our community. And so as we arrive here, our fourth and final value is that of mission. And so as you hear that word mission, what, what is it that comes to mind when you hear the word mission? Maybe for some of you young families this morning, your morning was marked by a mission, and that mission was to get your family together and pulled together and arrive at church and get through what is the process of a Sunday morning without a, a, anyone having a major meltdown. Maybe that was your mission this morning. Maybe for others, you, when you think of mission, your mind goes to the upcoming football season, whether it's your college team or your, your professional football team that you long for them to, to actually finally reach their goal, maybe win a championship. Maybe if you're a Bills fan, you, you might eventually uh, hope, hope that this year the mission will be accomplished to find ultimate redemption. Nope. <laughs> or have it snatched away again. Maybe for, for you, like, like me, when I think of mission, the thing that automatically pops into mind is, is this, uh, the, the movie franchise, Mission Impossible, right? right? How, how many of those are we up to now? Like, I think 12 or 13 or so, or something like that. So uh, they, just, they just keep making these. But, uh, uh, but Mission Impossible, the, the, the core of that is, is this mission that is set forth. And every one of those movies starts in kind of the same way, right? Ethan Hunt receives some kind of uh, everyday item, and as he puts his fingerprint on it or gets a retinal scan, it, it pops open into this, this video screen and it, it starts setting forth this, this narrative of, of, of what's going on someplace in the world. And then ultimately it, it comes to every movie has this line where it says this, right? Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is. And it gives him this clear objective, something that, that he and his team is supposed to go forth and accomplish. And a mission implies that. It implies a goal or a pursuit that has to be fulfilled. And we believe that we as a church ultimately have a mission. We have a mission to fulfill. It's not something that we have merely come up with or, or a, a special particular passion that, that we get excited about. But we have been entrusted with a mission from King Jesus. And the question for us is, will we choose to accept this mission? So this topic could be so broad, we could, we could, we could cover it in so many different ways, but I want to start by just, just making some general observations about mission and try to then ultimately at the end of this narrow down into some practical questions of what this looks like in our individual lives and in our life group communities. So the first thing that I want to, I want to highlight and I, th- I think is, is important just to, just to recognize is the inevitability of mission. There is an inevitability when it comes to mission, meaning to live as a human is to pursue a purpose, or at the very least, long for a purpose. 
You find someone who, who doesn't understand their purpose, doesn't know what they're doing with their life, and you will likely find someone who is frustrated, discouraged, longing for something to fill that void. As humans, we recognize that we were not intended to merely exist just to simply survive, but we were made for something greater. We are not like the cows in the field just merely looking for their next meal. And we will pursue some goal with our life. We will give our lives to something. And man has often struggled to find any number of things which, which ultimately will find and, and, and give them purpose and meaning. For some, it's just personal success. It's notoriety. It's accomplishment. It's making a name for themselves. For, for others, it just becomes the, the sheer pursuit of pleasure. Whatever I can find and do and experience that, that, will, that will just give me pleasure, and as long as I can keep that high going, then that's what I'm going to live for. Others may try to find a loftier goal in which to try to change the world for the better, to try to, try to solve problems that they see in the world, to try to, try to you know, create transformation in the world and impact something. We ultimately will try to find something to give our lives to. The pursuit of mission is inevitable. So that's, that's true whether personally or even organizationally when we think about who we are as a church. We will either intentionally or unintentionally give ourselves towards some end. And the question is, will we give ourselves to the mission that we were made to pursue? The world offers us the, the idea that we just have to go and find our own purpose, find whatever it is that makes us happy, and that's, that's the ultimate path for everybody. But as Christians, we believe that it was God who created us for a purpose, and that He has a purpose that He is working out in the world. So there's an inevitability of mission. The next thing I think I want to highlight is the clarity of mission. The clarity of mission. If we are going to faithfully pursue our mission as a church, then we need to have clarity on what that mission is, why it is that we exist. We have to try hard to answer the question, what is God's purpose in creating the church? We could say that in order to understand our purpose and our mission together, then we first have to understand that God has a mission. He has an ultimate purpose that He is pursuing in the world. And to understand that, it really is what we see throughout the whole of the Scriptures. And we could say something like that the ultimate end to which God has promised, that, that He has covenanted Himself to fulfill, is the redemption of a new humanity bought by the blood of Jesus, gathered under the Lordship of Christ to worship Him truly and reflect His image accurately in this restored world to the end that the glory of His name is spread across the entire world. And that ultimately is what God is about about the manifestation and the glory of His name. And as we think about our mission, we, we have to recognize that we have a mission because God has that mission. He is a missional God. And God has redeemed you and He has gathered His church for His purposes. You see, when God saved you, it was not as though you were walking along and you discovered that you were missing something and then decided to bring God into your story as though God just kind of fills this empty void in you and then you get to kind of bring God along as the sidekick in the story of your life to, to create the image and, and identity that you long for. But ultimately, when God saved you, God brings you into His story. 
He gathers you to His people, unites you to His church, and calls you to fulfill His purposes. And so it's important that we, that we recognize that, that God's mission is not exactly the same as our mission. We have to realize that there are things that only God can ultimately accomplish in this world. He alone is the one who will bring ultimate peace and ultimate shalom. He will alone restore the created order. Only God can bring final judgment to bring about the eradication of evil in the world. But God has given to His church a charge, a mission, and it is the church that God will use as the primary means of accomplishing His purposes in the world. And He wants to use you and He wants to use me in that process. And so the church is sent with a task. And it's so important in a consumeristic context such as ours to, to, to recognize and understand that churches were never intended to merely be organizations that are distributors of religious content. We're not designed to be curators of spiritual experience. But churches are first and foremost redeemed communities gathered by God and sent out for God. And so if we are to understand what our charge is, where do we look? There are any number of places that we could go to, but in the short time I have, I want to point us to a familiar passage here at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28. The final words here, what many of you, most, most of us probably know as this great commission. Something that is all too familiar, but so often practically forgotten. And so let's look at this text here in Matthew 28, beginning in verse, verse 16, it says this, it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I'm not going to stay there long, but uh, I love Matthew's honesty there of, of just as they're, they're about to be entrusted with this, this charge from Jesus, as they, they encounter the resurrected Lord, many of them worship Him, but yet some doubt it. And we probably have that experience in our own lives of that tension and that struggle of, of, of the tension between worship and doubt. And so in, in, that, in, in view of that, Jesus gives them this charge. And it says in verse 18 that Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's just stop and recognize what he said. That all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And so what he's about to tell his disciples is rooted in and born out of His ultimate authority. So our mission and, and what we're called to do is rooted in and, and, and born out of the authority of Jesus. We don't have our own authority to, to do anything, but what we have is entrusted and given to us from our King. And so based on the authority of Jesus, He tells them this. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, in order to understand this text, you've got to stay with me. We've got to unpack some of these verbs that are here. 
we've got to get down into the, into the language and, and, and some of the grammar and syntax that's being used here. So in this text, there is one main verb in the original Greek that is presented here, and it is the verb to make disciples. Jesus has, has spent his, the last three years of His public ministry gathering His disciples to Himself, teaching them and training them for the purpose that they ultimately would reproduce themselves and go out and make more disciples. To understand what a disciple is, it's, a, it's, it's quite simply a learner, a follower. But don't think modern-day followers on Facebook and Instagram as though you just kind of click a button and then kind of passively observe and witness and, and see what content they pump out. To be a disciple and a follower is one who, who models their life after another, who learns from them and then reproduces that, who commits everything in their life, not as a fan, but as one who is firmly committed to following in the same path as the one that they've learned from. And it is this command that is the central task that is given to the disciples. And as they go forth and seek to accomplish this, what happens all throughout the book of Acts? We see the birth and the establishment of the church. And so this charge is, is passed on to the church as it continues to multiply. And all the way to us, this same task has been entrusted to where we, as God's people, receive this same charge given originally to His disciples that has been entrusted to His church and passed on through the line of discipleship that has led to you and to me to continue to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the central, central command here, the imperative of this text. But then attached to this main verb are, th are three other words. There's these things called participles. And it uh, doesn't matter, they're, they're kind of verbal adjectives that relate to the main verb in some sense. And the first one that we see is translated as go. So we have the, the verb of going, baptizing, and then teaching. So they all relate to this main verb. So it starts with this, this idea of, of, of going. And this here presents a prerequisite for the command of making disciples to be fulfilled. Meaning this is something that has to happen. It is a necessary thing that has to happen before the actual verbal command of the passage takes place. So it takes on kind of the sense of the main verb as, as, as an imperative as well. It's a command, ultimately, that in order to accomplish the task of making disciples, they first have to go. And so we, the, what this tells us is that discipleship amongst Jesus' earliest followers was not merely a Bible study amongst other Christians. It wasn't just two Christians sitting down for coffee and discussing life and theology. Although discipleship may very well include those kinds of activities, but we must not uh, think that it is merely synonymous with those things. The mission to make disciples begins with the command to go. And this is a crucial shift right here in the trajectory of redemptive history. See, previously to this, the people of God had been set apart and, and kind of gathered off as a distinct community on which the world could, could look and see what life looked like under the, the right and good rule and reign of God. But here, in light of the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the people of God are now sent out into the world to testify to the Lordship of Jesus. And so the new covenant church is intended to be an outward-oriented community. 
The disciples did not start just having Bible studies on their own. Peter didn't invite Bartholomew just to go sit down at Starbucks. But what they did is, as is, is they, is they learned to press and step into this command, what we see in Acts chapter 2 is this. They first of all started gathering in a room, praying, but as the Spirit came upon them, He pushed them outward to go out and to proclaim the good news of what they had witnessed to what Jesus had done. And what they see is, is this mass thousands who come to faith in Jesus who are then gathered together. The church is established and this reproducible process begins to take root to begin to spread throughout everything that we see in the book of Acts. And so the first step in this discipleship mission is to proclaim the good news of Jesus to those who have not heard. What we might today call simple evangelism. That's the first part of this call to make disciples. But there's two more of these participles that, that are here, and they function just a little bit differently. It's these words of baptizing and teaching. And how these function, I believe, is that, that these are the means by which this, this task of making disciples will be accomplished through, through baptizing them in the name of the Trinity and then teaching them to observe everything that Jesus commanded. So as we know, baptism is that act of the church in which we, we recognize those who have placed their faith in the risen Christ, who, who are declared to be His followers, who are declared to be part of His kingdom. But discipleship does not just stop there. It's not just merely about conversion, but it goes on to this depth of, of teaching and instruction that is necessary to build people up in their faith, to teach them everything that Jesus commanded. There have been a lot of movements who are all about you know, just getting a lot of baptismal stats, going into different parts of the world and just seeing lots of, lots of, you know, kind of outward conversions in some sense, but then lack the follow-up necessary to actually do the training and the work to see disciples matured and grown in their faith. So if we're going to understand our mission, it involves both the proclamation of the gospel, seeing people come to faith, but also teaching them and training them and helping them understand what it means to live a life following Jesus in everything that He commanded. And if you feel like this is daunting, like probably the disciples did when they first heard this, remember Jesus' final words to them. He says, I send you out on my authority, and He says this, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a, this is a heavy task. This is a, this is a high calling but Jesus has promised that He will be with us in this. He will help and work through His Spirit to accomplish this through us. But will we be faithful in this? And even if we do gain clarity on what our mission is, the problem that we all face is that we have a tendency to distort the mission. This is, this is our tendency, both individually and even as churches, is to abandon this mission. To, to, to set it aside and say, you know what, that's great. You know, maybe somebody else can be about that. I'm glad my church is about that, or I'm glad other churches are about that, but we're, we're going to do something else. And in our own lives, it looks like oftentimes just turning and seeking to build our own kingdom. It's the manifestation of the virus of Babel that still plagues the human heart. If you look back in Genesis 11 after the flood and, and Noah and this, this kind of new start to humanity is sent forth, they're, they're sent forth to, to spread out over the whole world. But what do they do? They gather together 
at Babel, and they, they, they seek to build this tower, and they say this. They say, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. I think we t- have a tendency to abandon that mission and try to just create our own mission, to build our own kingdoms, to make a name for ourselves. The other way that we distort the mission is by replacing it. We might replace the mission. And this can look a lot of different ways, but, but sometimes it ultimately looks like where we supplant the central message of the gospel and its eternal spiritual dimensions, and we turn them merely into temporal, physical pursuits. And at its worst, this ultimately will lead to something like a social gospel, as though God's ultimate purpose and only purpose in the world is just to, is just to meet physical needs. And yes, we should be about meeting and caring for the needs of people and caring for the poor, but it cannot supplant the central call of the church to make disciples of Jesus. And there are many activities that we do which support and fuel us toward our mission, but we must not confuse or reduce the mission of the church down to mere social activities to which the church might rightly invest itself. And so... It is our desire to have clarity on what we are called to do and to be in the world. And our desire is, as, the, as a church, to live out this great commission. To live it out in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our other relational spheres. We desire for, for our life groups to look for ways to bless their community as we display the life-changing power of the gospel throughout Fort Collins. But our ultimate goal And our mission is to glorify God by multiplying disciples, disciples who make disciples, by multiplying life groups. This is why life groups are never meant to just kind of continue on as as a great community, but we, we, we call you all to the hard task of multiplication, of maybe even leaving really uh, good relationships and, and a really profound community life that you've experienced and actually sacrificing so that we can create more communities of light in our cities and in our neighborhoods. And ultimately, we want to multiply disciples, life groups, and ultimately churches throughout our community, throughout our region, and ultimately around the world. This is what we want to be about. This is what we want to keep central as the mission of who we are as God's people and as a church. So I want to try in just a short time we have left kind of narrow this down to just some practical questions and practical things that we can ask together and in our own lives to really help us live this out. You're probably all familiar with our mission statement, right? Making disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the joy of His people. That is why we exist as a church. There are a thousand good things that we can give ourselves to, but there is one non-negotiable pursuit of this discipleship mission that we must keep central. And so when we say that mission is a core value of our life groups, we're not speaking of some new or alternative mission necessarily, but we're highlighting this, that it is the context of the close community of our life groups that will likely be the primary context in which we collectively pursue this mission together. We certainly will continue to proclaim the gospel as we gather here as one body each week. But it is in our life groups that we all have the greater opportunity to put our boots on the ground, so to speak, and to live as a people who are on mission for Jesus. 
Our life groups are intended to not merely be inward-oriented communities. Certainly, as we've unpacked over the last number of weeks with all of these other values, that there, there, there certainly is, is built in uh, intrinsically an inward care and, in- and a pattern of, of, of inward focus that, that occurs within life groups. Yes, that is part of it. But if we terminate our efforts only on giving and receiving from one another, then we are missing the ultimate purpose for which God has gathered us into His family. And so we must also have an outward-oriented vision for our life groups to pursue the lost in our cities, in our neighborhoods, and as we say, all of our circles of influence. And so as as we look at these values, in many ways this this forms a process that occurs in our lives. This is what we see throughout the book of Acts. As we seek to grow in the gospel and understand what that means as it drives us towards one another in fellowship and community with one another, as, as, as we then serve one another and we, we see the opportunity to then reach out beyond ourselves to serve those beyond our walls, it then provides this opportunity for the mission to, to go forth to proclaim that gospel anew to those who haven't heard, to those who are outside of our community. And as we see them embrace that, that message and come to faith, then that process starts over of, of, of growth, fellowship, service, and mission that just reproduces itself over and over in our lives together. And so these things are, are, are not distinct activities necessarily, but they are born out of and support one another. Mission is most often born out of our community life together and our service that we share alongside of one another. It is our life together that identifies us as Jesus' followers. That's what He said we would do, right? That, that the world would know that you're mine by the way you love one another. And it should be our lives and our community that is a support to and a reflection of the beauty and the truth of the message that we long to share. And so, in order for our life groups to carry forth this purpose, it has to be composed of believers who are intentional about pursuing the common mission of discipleship together. Throughout the church, there's oftentimes these kind of words that get tossed around and they become just kind of buzzwords. One of those words that they got kind of developed and used over the last number of years is the word missional. And uh, depending on who you talk to, that could mean all different things. And in some ways, it becomes kind of a junk drawer term. Um, but at, at its best, if we, if, if, we, if we try to reclaim this word in its most simplistic way, what does it mean to be missional? I think it's this crucial idea of, of, of clearly understanding our mission and then adding this element of intentionality to it, to actually be intentional, to not just passively assume that if we just walk out the door, the the mission's just going to happen, but that understanding our our, our mission also involves us pursuing life with intentionality. And as we bring those together, we we can live as missional Christians. But apart from a commitment to this core value, if we remove this core value from uh, what we long to see in our life groups, the groups might thrive for a while. They might be good experiences for, for the people that, that enjoy them. But ultimately, they will become inward-oriented, insider-driven, and they will ultimately terminate on themselves. But we are called together to have an intentionality to pursue the mission that God has called us to fulfill. And so it starts with the foundational principle that we realize that mission is not just an activity that we add to our lives, but it is a principle that we embody. 
It's not just an added activity, but it's a principle, understanding who we are and our identity as followers of Jesus. And so it starts as, as we get to look out into the world and we see it as God sees it, where we see all people as image bearers of those who need to be reconciled with their Creator. And so our motivation has to come from a heart of love, not mere Christian duty, but a heart of love and genuine concern for humanity as those who are made in His image, who are far from their Creator, but yet there is a way to bring restoration and healing. But what is the context for this missional life? For some, it may look like what we oftentimes think of typically in the church as missions or as foreign missions, as, as someone leaving their, their homeland and traveling to another land to, to, to take the gospel into those places. And for some, it may look like that. Maybe even in here, God is stirring in, in, in someone's heart just the desire to go to a place like David Morgan's going to go in just, a, just a, a few months to take the gospel to lands that haven't heard, to, to go over to the Czech Republic and try to, try to be a missionary in a foreign place. For some, it may look like that. But for others, all of us just every day in the church, if, if that's your only view of what missions is, then I think we've missed our calling. That God has, has set forth this mission to all of us, and the context for that is our everyday life. It's a phrase that we used to use around here all the time, that, that our calling is to, to live ordinary lives with gospel intentionality. We're just ordinary Christians living ordinary lives with gospel intentionality. And so the context is just your life. What, what do you regularly do? But how do you add an intentionality to that? How can you start to see the current rhythms of your life, the things you do every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, throughout your week as places for mission? Start to ask the question, hey, who, who can I do this with? Who can I be involved with in my workplace Rather than eat lunch by myself, how can I invite along to come with me? In the, in the things that, are, that we love to do, whether it's camping, playing golf, going to a concert, an event, having dinner, who can we invite along with us in that, both within our Christian community and also outside of our Christian community? Maybe we begin to ask, what are the new rhythms that we might be able to pursue for the sake of a missional opportunity? What are your passions? What are your hobbies? What are your pursuits that you love to do? And how can you use those to, to leverage and build into relationships that might lead to an opportunity to actually declare the message of Jesus? How can we use our common interests as a bridge to build discipling relationships? Where can we start going regularly that might give an opportunity for missional engagement? I mean, these, are, these are questions that have been hampered and hindered, especially by what was the past couple years. Living a couple years of COVID and isolation and quarantine will break down and fracture any kind of missional muscles and, and practices that, that, that maybe we have had. But the calling of the church is not to live in isolation, but to live in engagement. Engagement with those around us, on our streets, with our neighbors. Do we know who lives right next to us? Do we know who works in the cubicle just down the office? Do we put ourselves in places where we can build a relationship with those people? Ultimately, so that we can maybe eventually share the message of the gospel with them. 
Do we as life groups begin to identify the needs that are around us in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces? Do we ask who are the hurting people that we might be able to extend compassion and grace towards? Who can we be a blessing to both, both inside of our community but also outside of our community? And what are the needs that we can practically meet as we, as we try to serve together? Daniel last week really highlighted this idea of service and, and, and he didn't quite get to his final point as he highlighted this idea of serving together. He, he, he wanted to also share that, that there's this opportunity to serve outside and to serve our community in greater ways. And our life groups have been characteristic of this in so many different ways uh, throughout our history. Working with other organizations and, and good things that are happening in our city, not as the fulfillment of our mission, but as a way in which God might put us in contact with and allow us to display the love of Jesus in a way that can provide an opportunity for us to ultimately share the good news of Jesus. And you know, as we approach service and care for others, I think there's two ways we often approach it. Sometimes it's just reactively. And I think we do this really well internally in our, in our church as, as a need arises. Somebody even, I think on Realm this week, was like, hey, I need a piece of luggage. And somebody was like, oh, go to the store. And somebody's like, hey, I actually have one. You can just have what I have. Like we, we serve and we, we react to needs that arise. Um, last week, Beck, you know, they, Beck and Lindsay had just taken in a, a foster child and they needed help putting together a, a crib. And so we invited and then some guys came over and they helped and they reacted to that need in the moment. And I think we do that really well, and that, that should be a rhythm and an aspect of who we are as a people, but are there not also ways that we can grow in, 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 in being proactive in the way that we serve, in the way that we pursue other people? Maybe can we as life groups gather together and say, hey, what are ways that we can implement a rhythm of, of just serving together in, in, in ways in our community that would be meaningful and impactful? Um, I know one of our life groups has is, is, is been involved with, with trying to help out with a, uh, 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 the, the family housing network and some of their uh, overnight programs to help with temporary housing for homeless people to, to ultimately have, get them on a path towards um, self-sufficiency. And uh, they, they're, they're continuing to engage in that and, and, and try to have that as a regular rhythm of their group. And it's, 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 it's a tangible way to, to show and display the love of, love of Jesus but also it's a way that, that, that we can build bridges and build connection with other people and, and, and relationships that can ultimately allow us to reach the point where we can declare the word of the gospel. So what are those needs? How do we identify them? Do we actually understand the centrality of community in our lives? Community can be very messy. It can be hard. We can let each other down. It can be, it, it, it's not the, always perfect. But do we understand that God has saved us and united us to each other and that we need one another? And if we're going to accomplish this mission, we are going to have to lean on each other and press into relationship with one another. And it's even in our community that, that people are going to come to experience and be able to see what the gospel does when it changes a people. This is why it's so important to be able to, 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 be able to invite and, and bring non-believers into our life group communities. This is why our life groups are not merely just weekly Bible studies that, that just happen every week. Certainly, we need to and we long to study the Word together, but, do, but we also have, have rhythms built in to where we meet casually in a place and we can invite a coworker, we, we can invite someone else to come and connect with and introduce them to the community of believers to build relationships together. 
Are we being intentional in the way that we seek to grow in our engagement with others, in our conversations and in our our social interactions? Or do we hide behind kind of our introvertedness or that that, that's just not my personality? But does the life-changing power of the gospel push us to have an outward-oriented vision to grow in those areas, to be a true friend who, who lives with care and compassion and empathy towards those around us? My wife has done a tremendous job on this and is constantly a, uh, a correction to me, even on our street, with families who, who are in need, who don't seem to always be put together, whose kids can be a challenge, to put it nicely, in different things, but yet she has this heart of compassion and care for them. So just let them come over and let them play and let them be around and, and try to provide a, a, an image of a home that maybe is an offer of, of peace and what, what they could find. Is that what it looks like to have us on a street in Fort Collins? To, to, to have people who are, who are regularly living in a way that, that, that just declares and displays the gospel? Are we growing in those rhythms? Do we model what Jesus modeled for us in John 4 when He approached the woman at the well in the casual everyday conversation of life, confronted her, cared for her, and led her towards truth. But ultimately, will we be a people who are missional in the sense that we, at the end of the day, get to the gospel? Realize that the gospel is a good news that needs to be proclaimed verbally and also backed up by our life. Will we also remember what what Paul wrote to to the Romans In Romans chapter 10, when he said this, How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is our mission. Quite simply, set forth to His disciples entrusted to us his church. The ultimate question is, do you, do you see this mission as your mission? In order to cultivate and grow these values in our life groups and in our church, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us pressing in, engaging with one another, asking the difficult questions, wrestling through these things together and growing in it. We don't have this all figured out. We don't have all of these things perfectly uh, on display all the time. But this is what we long to see. This is what the people that we long to be. So will you press into life group in this season to pursue gospel growth with others, to understand how the death And the resurrection of Jesus and His life given for us transforms every aspect of who we are. Will we grow to experience true fellowship with one another, to be known in all of our imperfections, and to know others, and together to push each other on into a deeper relationship with Jesus, to have a genuine common sharing of life together? Will we press in to serve one another? Faithfully, when it's hard, when it's challenging, over the long haul? Will we serve alongside one another to care for our community and those around us? Whether it's the foster children that get brought into a home in our our church, whether it's those on our street who just 
need a, an extra babysitter or childcare, whether it's those who, who need help building a house, there's a million ways in which we can serve and will service characterize us and mark us as a community. Will we be a blessing not only to each other, but to those outside of these walls? And ultimately, will we give ourselves to the mission that we have been sent to accomplish? To make disciples of Jesus Christ for His glory and for our joy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for this time over these few weeks just to, to highlight these values things that aren't, again, just things that we are particularly excited about, but they are things that we believe that you are wanting to cultivate in our midst. So I pray that you would give us steadfastness in this season to love the people that you have united us to, even when we can be difficult to love. But you loved us while we were sinners. And so I pray that, that the love of Jesus displayed to us would also be the love that we try to embody and, and share with one another. So I pray that you would cultivate in our midst a growth in the gospel, a genuine fellowship around our union in Christ, that a heart of service would characterize us, that service isn't just something that we do, but service is a result of our identity as servants. And ultimately, God, let us press into this mission. Let us understand clearly what the mission is that you've given to us, and let us press into it. And we rest in the hope, as you declared to those 11 men so long ago, that you are still with us, and you will be with us to the end. So let us live in that hope and in light of these truths. And we ask in the glorious name of Jesus, amen.